You're listening to teaching from Central Church in West Columbia, South Carolina. We hope that this message will help you experience Jesus in a new and exciting way. For more information, please visit us at centralnazarene.org. And, uh, so, you know, I was listening to that song, um, Seas and the Highways. I was talking about the, the, the Red Sea, the splitting of the Red Sea. Uh, uh, bones into armies, Ezekiel's vision of the dry bones, and uh, uh, graveyards to gardens. And I don't know what the other metaphor was, the other, the other descriptive term was, but, you know, I was just sitting there thinking, you know, in 15 days we're going to have an election. You know, if one side wins, the other side's going to be wringing their hands. If the other side wins, people are going to be wringing their hands. And uh, guess what? You can serve Jesus no matter who wins. <laughs> You can serve Jesus, you know? I know we all have our point of view and our opinion about, and prayers about who we want to win, but it's about the kingdom of God. Uh, we do our best to be the best citizens under God in this particular country and, and our own system of government, and I have my opinion and, and what I'll do, and you have yours and what you'll do, but Jesus is king. Jesus is king. So uh, just purpose in your heart, no matter what happens, uh, Jesus is your Lord. Okay, Jesus is your Lord. And, uh, you know... I was, uh, I like to look at history, and this is not my sermon, but this is just for free. And, uh, <laughs> you know, people have served uh, God through very, very difficult times. Think about the first two or three centuries of Christianity and how those early Christians had to serve Jesus under Roman domination. I think if they can serve Jesus facing lions, you can serve Jesus facing Biden or Trump. I'm just going to say that. You know, I think that'll preach. I think that's safe. And, uh, so anyway, you can just serve Jesus. So just make that your focal point and uh, be a good citizen. All right, so that's not the theme of the day, but I thought I, as I was singing that, I thought, you know, Jesus is king. It's the kingdom of God. So, uh, all right, so, uh, so we've been talking to you about uh, uh, the end of the age. What time is it? The second coming and those kinds of things. And it's a question that the church has asked from the very beginning. In fact, I'm going to read a scripture to you in just a minute that uh, will demonstrate that. From the very beginning, we want to know, when is the end coming? So my title is, what time is it? What time is it? When is Jesus coming back? And uh, uh, we don't know. We don't know. So, um, but what I want to do, this is a Nazarene church. I don't know if you knew that. When you, when you walked in the doors, you walked into a Nazarene church. And we are, uh, we are a, a, a Wesleyan church. Uh, our, our, it shapes our theology, it shapes how we think, it, it shapes how we interpret the scriptures, it shapes how we view the world. And so uh, I want you to know that uh, um, there is no uh, statement of faith. You don't have to believe a particular scenario about the end of the age in the Church of the Nazarene. We don't hold a position on how it's going to happen. There are some churches and some denominations, if you don't hold to a particular point of view about eschatology or the studies of the end of the age, then you really can't be a part of that church. We don't have that. Uh, you can believe pretty much whatever you want to believe about the end of the age, as long as it includes Jesus is coming back. That's the statement of faith. Jesus is coming back. And uh, by the way, do you know that the entire... The entire New Testament era of which we live in and was begun with the advent of Jesus, the entire New Testament era is a, and I'm going to use this word, it's a big word, but it, I'll just have to use it and, and, and you process it with me, is, is eschatological. What that means is it's, it's, it's the, the, the end began the moment Jesus showed up. 
So our in, every time we come to church, we are participating in the arriving of the end. Every time we take communion, we are participating in the announcement of the arrival of the end. And the end is when Jesus returns. And so when we come to church, you know, I, I, uh, I, I was listening to a, a, a teacher professor give a lecture or, or a, uh, on, on the early church, and he was talking about like that song. He, was, he said in the first century, it was totally, like, totally not like our, our age or our world, the country we live in, but that, that they were under severe persecution. And so when they would go to church, their number one pri- prayer was not, uh, Lord, heal my arthritis. They may have prayed that prayer, but that wasn't their principal prayer. Their prayer was not, Lord, my car's broken down, I need a new car, or donkey in their case. They may have prayed that prayer, but it wasn't the principal prayer. The prayer was, even so come, Lord Jesus, even so come. That was their prayer. That was, they cried that out. We know that as Maranatha, come, Lord, come. And so that is what uh, they prayed, and, and probably we should join them. So our entire existence is pointing toward the end of the age. The existence of the church is pointing toward the end of the age. So when we talk about eschatology, it is the study of the end of the age. Eschatology comes from the Greek word eschaton, which means the end. And that day's coming. So it is important that you understand that you don't have to accept it. It doesn't make you a bad person or not a Christian or not holy. It's, uh, but it's important that you understand a Wesleyan perspective on eschatology. What's eschatology? The study of the end. It comes from eschaton, which means the end. So uh, uh, it's important that you understand what that is. And so today is going to be more like teaching than preaching, but I'll promise I'll try not to make it boring. Okay, sometimes teaching can be a little more like laborious. That means intense, hard labor. Uh, So try to just like, as uh, Terry uh, has made me aware, or self-conscious, suck in some oxygen. You know, breathe deeply. Even if you have to pull your mask out a little bit, suck in some air so that the synapses can keep firing. So I'm going to give you some words, theological words, but they're words in the dictionary, words in theological dictionaries, and they will help you understand why Wesleyans believe what they believe about eschatology. So they are not commonly used words, but it's important that you understand them so that when someone is speaking or teaching or preaching, you will have an understanding of what perspective they have. It doesn't make them a bad person. It doesn't even necessarily make them wrong. It just means that's where they're coming from. And you'll know that. Oh, everybody good? Okay. Pull your mask out a little bit. Suck in some air. Hopefully nobody near you is... Uh... Okay, we're all safe. We're all good. Oops. What you can't do is take your eye off the screen when you have one of these little gizmos because... It does what it wants to, unlike paper. All right. So we are Wesleyan. I point that out because it's important for you to know that we are not, if we are Wesleyan, then we're not Reformed. We're not Reformed. Uh, Now, some of you might need Reformation. Some of y'all might need Reformed. You know, my dad used to tell me, you need to go to reform school. That's what they called it back in the day. Uh, that means they straighten you out. 
So, but we are not reformed in a theological sense. We're not Calvinists. And, 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 and when I say that, what I mean is that we're not, we're not Church of Christ, we're not Presbyterian, and we're not Baptist. Now, they're not bad people. They're Christians. They're, they're brothers and sisters in the Lord. So it's not a stone. It's just a description saying we are, we are Wesleyan. We're not reformed. We're not Calvinists. And it makes a difference how we understand and process theology and eschatology. So you, you got that? So we know who we are. We are Wesleyan. This is a Nazarene church. It's in the Wesleyan Methodist tradition. And we're not the others. And, and it makes a distinction. And we recognize all of them, even our Catholic brothers. We, I hear some, some, some deriding like the Catholic church, and they don't do things like I do, and they do things I don't do. Um, but so do some close friends of mine do things I, I wouldn't do and, uh, and, and have restrictions on things which I don't follow. So, so we consider all of these who, who adhere to the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Macedonian Creed, uh, I, mean, not, I mean the Chalcedonian Creed, as brothers and sisters. It's like the old, uh, one of the old songs we used to sing, uh, uh, I don't care what church you belong to, as long as for Calvary you stand, uh, as long as Jesus is your Savior, something like something along, as long as Jesus is your Savior, then you're my brother, give me your hand. So we don't, we don't unchristianize somebody who thinks a little bit different than us, or has a different, or come from a different school of thought in the Christian tradition. Uh, my my uh, theological professor, you'll probably know him, uh, uh, Rob Staples, New Testament uh, theology, uh, said that uh, the church is like a broad river. It's a river running through history. And uh, all these various denominations, and there are hundreds of them, uh, are, are like little currents within the river. And we all have our own little distinction uh, within the river. And it's God's way of communicating to the whole world that he loves the world. And he includes all kinds of people. Sometimes we forget that the world is bigger than we are. And there are whole histories and traditions that are completely different than we are. And they are our brothers and sisters. There's another whole a part of the church that are on the other side of the globe. We call them the Eastern Church. They do things completely different, but they're very, very ancient, and they're very, very old, and they have different calendars and all kinds of stuff, but they're still our brothers and sisters. You know? So it's a big church. It's a big world, and God died for the whole world. So anyone that follows the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Chalcedonian Creed, we embrace as brothers and sisters. So theology. How many of you just love theology? Woo, I got two, three, four, five, okay, the hands are going up. So theology, it's important that you like theology. You do it whether you like it or not. Because theology is just the study of God. I'd say that's kind of a big subject, wouldn't you? So you might have thought you didn't like theology, but you actually do. Because you like studying about God, so you are a theologian of a sorts. I said of a sorts. <laughs> so... Uh, so it is about the study of God, and it's important. So there is a Wesleyan theology. There is a, a Lutheran theology, a Calvinistic theology, a Catholic theology, an Eastern Church theology, and, and these are systems. So when I went to school, both in Bible college and in seminary, we studied systematic theology. System, you, so what you do is you, put a, you, put, you, you have a theological perspective, for instance, like a Calvinistic theology, or a Wesleyan theology, or a Catholic theology. And so what, what theologians do uh, in seminaries and in colleges is they study uh, and they present to their, their students and pastors to churches a system of theology that is thought through. Now, what, what happens a lot of times, and when we don't have, uh, or we're not paying attention, it's not, the, it's not the pastor's fault or the teacher's fault. Somebody say amen. 
We're, we're not paying attention. We may adopt a little bit of Calvinistic theology, a little bit of uh, Wesleyan theology, a little bit of, Calvin, uh, of uh, Catholicism in our, in our grid, and we're we all mixed up in our thinking process. Now, if you know that's what you're doing, that's one thing. If you don't know what you're doing, that's another thing altogether. And so what happens a lot of time in any particular subject as it relates to theology, we'll have like a hodgepodge. We'll just throw stuff into our pot. And, and that's okay because that's not going to get you to heaven anyway. Uh, but it's just to help us to think through our theology and what we believe about God and the church. Now, Wesleyan theology has this theme that's carried out from its very beginning and, and John Wesley and, so, and, and associates of John Wesley uh, uh, use this word to try to describe Wesleyan theology, and it's called the via media. Does that bless your heart? So it's called the via media. And what that simply is, it's Latin for the middle way. And what that's referring to is that Wesley grew up in the time, uh, you know, uh, uh, sometime after Calvin, and you know, the Protestant Reformation was a couple hundred years before, but people were still grappling with theology and, and schools of theology and trying to put it together and come to some understanding of how to systematically think about these things so that they're coherent and they go somewhere and not a hodgepodge. So, so Wesley came up with this word, as far as I can tell, with the via media, and what he did is he took the best of the Roman Catholic tradition and the best of the Calvinistic tradition and merged them together into a, a systematic theology which we now call Wesleyan theology. So, uh, and when I, uh, and I'm talking about theology, not practice. Theology, thoughts about God and salvation and the order of salvation, not practice. Do you understand, do you understand the difference? Okay. So, uh, so that's what, so, so we, we are right in the middle. We're right in the middle. Because, for instance, let me give you an example of how that would work out. So, like, for instance, a lot of people accuse, like, their Catholic brothers and sisters of having a work salvation. You get saved by your works. Okay? So the Catholics will come along and say, no, we don't. We don't get saved by our works. We get saved by the blood of Jesus. That is the only way we get saved. That's what they would tell you. But we will look at them and say, no, you, you say if you don't do all these things, you're not going to be saved. And they'll go, well, that's right. If you don't do these things, you're not going to be saved. But that's not what's saving you. Those are just, those are just um, uh, the living out of your faith. They don't save you, but you must do them to have some mark of salvation. You can't just, but then, our, but then our Calvinist brothers, some who are on the other side would go, no, no amount of work that you do is going to save you. No amount of work you're going to do is going to save you. It doesn't matter what you do. So, so what Wesley did is he took, well, yeah, you better have some works. James says, show me your faith. I'll show you my works. My works manifest my faith. I'll show you my works. And you can look at them and you can see I am a person of belief. So, but, but you can't say your works are going to save you. Only God saves you. So we have this statement of faith. Only God can save you. So you have to have faith and trust in God and God alone who saves you, but you better have some works along with it. The via media. Not one or the other, but both. So that's, a, that's the via media. That's what he's talking about. Because it particularly was intense in that time because it was still being quite fleshed out and worked out in various churches. 
It's a way of understanding salvation and how God works in the world. And we have theological systems that try to describe that. Now, Wesleyan theology um, is, uh, sh is shaped... No, let me say it this way. Uh, churches that, that embrace a Wesleyan theology are churches like the Wesleyan church, the Nazarene church, the church of God, um, uh, the, the, uh, all Methodist churches, uh, and, and no matter what their name might be, uh, African Episcopal, Methodist, or anything that has Methodist in it as Wesleyan. So there is a, a large group of, of churches, and you can Google that. I mean, there's like, I don't know, bunches of churches that follow this particular theology. But what you need to know is that Wesleyan theology stands right in the middle of orthodoxy. Orthodoxy simply means what is right and what is true. So whether you are Catholic, Baptist, Presbyterian, Church of Christ, the Christian Union, Nazarene, Wesleyan, uh, Evangelical Methodist, I mean, you can start naming any kinds of denominations. They all stand in, in orthodoxy. They all stand in orthodoxy. Now, we have these distinctives that make us a little bit different. Distinctives. But all of us stand in orthodoxy. There are certain creeds, if you don't hold on to them, you are outside of orthodoxy. For instance, like, uh, like uh, Mormons are outside of orthodoxy. The uh, Jehovah's Witnesses are outside of orthodoxy. They do not embrace the historic creeds from the apostolic fathers. I hope that you're good. The apostolic fathers are, 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 are the apostles and, the, and the, 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 the people that they taught, the apostolic fathers. So we, so we adhere to the apostolic creeds and confessions. What is happening, what is happening as, the age, as age moves on, as time moves on, as history moves on, the church in some parts of the world and in some locations and some denominations move further and further away from the apostolic faith. And we call that apostasy. Apostasy. That means they have walked away from the apostolic faith. They have a faith, but it's not apostolic. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't adhere to what the apostles taught. And we are an apostolic church. We adhere to what the apostles taught. That's important. Because a church will arise that will not adhere to what the apostles taught. They'll still call themselves a church. They'll probably even still call themselves Christian but they will not be apostolic. And that's important to know. And you need to make sure of that. So, no, I'm not going to do that. The Apostles' Creed is in our hymn book, and you can Google it anytime. The Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Chalcedonian Creed. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be bad for us to maybe next Sunday uh, put that on the screen and we confess it together. By the way, see, we are, uh, okay, uh, shoot. It's just a lot to share Okay. So we stand in the context of, of the Christian faith. We are, we are, we are orthodox and classic, classic and apostolic. And, and things that, that describe that is we are, we're a conservative church. The Church of Nazarene is a conservative. We're not a liberal church. We're a conservative church. The church of, what I mean by that is in, in, the, in the turn of the century, 19, around the 1900s, the 1920s, the 1930s, there arose a liberalism that, that sprang out of Europe that made its way through, through um, um, shucks, um, higher criticism. 
And so what they did is they took the scriptures and they just broke them apart. And then they begin to dissect them and, and then they begin to process the scriptures through, a, through a, a grid of reasoning. And then they would begin to just strike out, like any kind of miracle, they would just strike it out. Because that doesn't apply itself, that doesn't allow itself to, uh, to fall under uh, reason. It's outside of reason. So, and they would look at the scriptures and they would go, well, there's no way Moses could have known that. So, so somebody else later than Moses wrote that. And then they would just do that all throughout the scriptures. And so then, you know, in the 19, what was it, 60s? Uh, my date not be exactly, but I'm not far off. There became this Jesus movement, and they began to take the scriptures and say, what did Jesus say and what did he not say? So they would use these higher criticism tools and techniques, and they would just strike out things that they thought Jesus probably didn't say. See, in the Church of the Nazarene, we don't allow that. It's, that's not part of our process. It's not part of our thinking. It's not how we process the scriptures. We have a high view of scripture. The scripture is our sole authority. So if the scriptures says it, it doesn't matter how you feel about it, what you think about it, the scriptures are the final and sole authority about it. Thank you. I was hoping for some of that. The scriptures, and not you, nor your opinion, nor how you feel about it, is the final authority. So in the church of Nazarene, the scriptures are our final authority, our sole authority for life and salvation. So you need to understand that because there is a whole school of thought moving now in the West where the scriptures are not the final authority. The final authority is uh, contemporary philosophy and social dynamics. So it's important that you know that. So in the church of Nazarene, it's a conservative church and you have a high regard for the scripture so that we believe, we literally believe in this age, we literally believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. You're like, well, well, of course we do. Well, there's a lot of churches that don't. And there's a lot of highbrow pastors who don't. They don't believe Jesus was virgin born because they strike out most all miracles. That's never happened in history, and so it probably didn't happen. He may have been a special child, but it wasn't virgin. So, and, and, and I'm not talking about some far off thing. I'm talking about church right here in town. Right here in town. So we, we believe in the virgin birth. We believe in the deity of Christ. Any, any pastor, any church that, 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 that takes that away from Jesus are not Christian. So we believe in the deity of Christ. The moment someone takes him off the pinnacle and puts him down here, they've erred from the apostolic faith. And, and they, they fall into a cult. They still may have Christian in their name, but they are not in the apostolic faith. So you need to know that. It's important. I may just get through the introduction. I don't know. We'll just see. And we believe in the bodily, not just in spirit, not in phantom, not in hope, but literally the body, bodily resurrection of Jesus. We confirm that. We affirm that. We confess that. There are whole schools of thought. There are serious theological schools who do not believe in the, re the literal body resurrection of Jesus. They believe he rose in the hearts of his disciples. And they taught his good teaching. That's not us. We believe in the resurrection, the literal body resurrection of Jesus. So I'm trying to just paint some of these things for you. Not only that, this is important, 
because we live in an age that, that is very sensitive about all kinds of things. But we dare, as the Church of the Nazarene, to say that the Christian faith is true. Therefore, other religious faiths are not true. We don't say everybody's true. We say that Jesus was correct, and every contradiction of him is incorrect. That truth matters. So we don't say that the Mormons are okay. They may be great citizens, and everyone I've ever met is. They're great people. They would be your best neighbors. But they err from the apostolic truth. And I'm, throwing, I'm not saying to throw a rock at them. They're very, I've, I've had two or three as, as neighbors, and they're great neighbors. They're great human beings. They're great citizens. They're model citizens. Some of us should be more like them in our practice, in our life, in our lifestyles. But they err from the truth because they take away the pinnacle of Jesus of history and put him down here like, I'm a son of God. He was a son of God. We're all sons of God, and Jesus was like one of us, a son of God. Not the son of God. So it excludes other, other religions. Now, in our world, that is like anathema. You don't say that. But if you're apostolic, that's what you got to say. If you're Nazarene, that's what you need to confess. Furthermore, maybe you need some more air. You good? I'm, I'm paying attention. I'm hungry, too. I don't have to hold a baby, though. We are evangelical. We're evangelical. We're not liberal. Neither are we fundamentalists. They're opposite schools. We are via media. We're in the, we're in the middle. And, and, and that matters. That matters. And, and let me give you a way of why that matters. We are not fundamentalists. Now, there's a lot of Nazarenes who are fundamentalists. But the church itself, the doctrine of the church, is not fundamentalist. It's evangelical. I'll give you an example of that. And this is important. This is important for later. And I'll have to stop and come back to this because someone was talking a lot while I was trying to talk. <laughs> Who could it be? Um, I'll give you an account. For, for instance, fundamentalists uh, have a belief system uh, that is dispensational. You may have heard that term, dispensational. So they break, they break human history up into dispensations. Now you can do that, and there's no law against that. There's no violation against that. Uh, it kind of makes sense, and that's why it's, oh, it's why it's a theological school or, or a tenet or a thought process. And they break it up into the age of innocence, the age of uh, uh, various ages, the age of innocence, the age of grace, the grace of the age of law, the age of the spirit. And they have these seven categories where they break up you know, the, the, uh, like a tribulation age. And they have all these ages broken up. And you, most of us probably grew up in that or heard that or learned that. And there's nothing wrong, nothing particularly wrong with that. It's not unchristian. It's not unbiblical. It's not, it's not a violating the apostolic creeds. It's just the way it's been worked out. However, Nazarenes, as a, as a formal theological system, don't buy into that. Don't buy into that. What, what we teach is what the... See, you're not going to find the word dispensation in, in the sense that it's used in breaking those ages up in, in the Scripture. What you will find and what Nazarenes teach and what I teach and what I believe is ages. Not dispensations, but ages, which is the biblical language. Both the prophets and the apostles use that language over and over. 
There is this present evil age. You'll recognize this in your, just in your, the, the, the scriptures that you have in your mind. This present evil age, which is when we live, which is when the fall came, when the fall happened, the, 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 the beauty of, the, of Eden dissipated and the evil age entered in and cursed everything. The evil age, the dark age. Not the dark ages as in medieval, but as understood theologically. But what the prophets did and what the apostles do and what we do is to go, but yes, but there is an age to come. And when in the age to come, the kingdoms of this world will submit to the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess whether it's Mussolini or whether it's Stalin or whether it's Putin or whether it's Trump or whether it's Biden or whether it's the king of Uganda, whoever it is, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. So we don't teach dispensations. You won't find it in Nazarene material, although we understand it and we can see it and we understand why they do that, but we talk about the present age and the age to come. The beautiful thing about Christian theology is this. Since the resurrection of Jesus, the age to come has entered into the present age. That's why you are who you are. The new age has come and take up residence. That's shouting ground, Nazarenes, and, and, and people who like Nazarenes but maybe aren't one in a formal sense. That's a convoluted way of saying it. Huh? See, that's, that's what makes us so different. That is what, that's, that's the difference, is that the age to come, the age to which, the which God rules, has taken up residence in my life. So even though I live in the midst of the present evil age, the new age has sprung up in me because of the presence of the gift of the Holy Spirit, and now I live the new life in the present age. Okay, I'm going to do it because you're not. Whoop! That's beautiful. That's what makes us different. Now, here's the deal. See, we teach that. We preach that. Probably everybody teaches that. But when we fail to live that out, when we fail to live that out, and that's another whole message. Don't have time. But we, this ain't the last day, Lord willing. Could be, though. We are citizens of the age to come living in the present evil age. That's why Jesus says, let your light shine. Let your light shine. And let them see your good life, or he said good deeds in particular. Let them see who you are. And they will glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, not everybody will. Some people will despise you because you're different. And your life reproves them. Your life is a correction to them. And don't like it. And depending on how dark the age that is present in them, and they resist the grace of God, which is something we need to talk about, which is in this sermon, which I probably won't get to until next week, Lord willing. They, they, they will, I've had that happen. Especially if you live in the, in the, in the, in the workplace, in the, in the secular workplace. And your life is a, as an agent of grace and of light. You're not wagging your finger at anybody. You're not like laying tracks down on people's desk. Or standing out in the lobby saying, turn or burn. You're not doing, you're just living life. You're just living life. There'll be some who won't like that. Because darkness likes darkness. 
and the light shines and reproves the darkness and they gnash at it. Don't like it. So, that's a beautiful thing. Uh, just give me, I'll just take two more minutes. It's, 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 it's a preacher two minutes, but just two more. Okay, so I said, we're evangelical. Uh, and by the way, uh, people who give, give uh, 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 like birth to that kind of thought would be pre- preachers like you understand uh, or have heard of, like uh, George Whitfield, uh, uh, John Wesley, and uh, Jonathan Edwards. You've heard those names in history. So those, are, those were, it was when evangelicalism began to be talked about. Okay, so the reason, the reason I'm sharing these things with you, and I'll just have to stop because, uh, is because it's important, and this is my last point, it's not the last point in my sermon, but the last point I have time to give. Because my dad told me, the seed of understanding can only take it so long. Okay, so, so here's the, this is why I'm sharing all this with you. To, to reinforce or to teach what the assumptions are as we talk about this. What the assumptions are. And, and the whole next part of the sermon is about the assumptions that, that we hold as opposed to what maybe someone else might hold. And I wish I had time to do that, but I, I just don't. And it's not be fair to you. So we have, and I've talked about this before, is that all of us, you can't help it. It's just the way that it is. All of us have presuppositions about how things are in the world. And that, that depends on how you were raised, who's speaking to you, what, 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 what school of thought you're buying into, all of those shape your presuppositions when you see something happen. You interpret that through a presupposition that's in your own mind and in your own thinking. Now, someone else over here might see the same thing and draw out of it a completely different point. And the reason we do that is because we all have different presuppositions about things. Presuppositions are assumptions that we make about a thing. Now, here's the danger. People have assumptions about things. You ever said this, or someone said to you, well, I assumed, you idiot. That's what we imply. I assumed, I mean, everybody else knows it, why don't you know it? I assumed that you would do this or you would do that or I assumed you would know that. We say it like condescendingly. Like, well, no, I didn't know that. I can't read your mind. I, I didn't know you were thinking that. I, I processed that completely different. When you said, go ahead and just stay home. I, th- I really thought you meant go ahead and stay home. That's a joke right there. Just because you assume something to be true does not mean that it is true. That's why there's this biblical imperative. Study to show yourself approved. One that will rightly divide the word of truth. The obvious implication is there's a wrong way to do it or an erroneous way to do it. 
And there's some very, very, very good people, godly people, people who I admire and would serve who do not share the same assumptions about, about Christian faith. Now, I said Christian faith, not some other faith. Assumptions about things, about Christian faith that I don't assume. I'll give you just an example. Because what in the world are you talking about? I'm talking about that. I'm talking about that right there. You know what that is? It's a wedding ring. There's a whole school of thought. Like, if you're really holy, you, you won't have that on. I was in a discussion with uh, someone who, uh, who said, Brent, the only ring you need is a ring around your table. Well, that's not bad, a ring around the table. Not bad. But I learned through life practice that that's a pretty good thing to, to wear. Especially as a young man, you know, out in the world, out on the beach, out in the shopping center. It's a good thing. It's a holy thing. But the other assumption is, eh, not so good. Because of an interpretation of Scripture. Because the Scripture says, do not let your adorning be of the wearing of silver. I got an out. That's not silver. I don't know what it is, but it's not silver. But it, but it imitates it. Nor of gold. Nor the putting on of apparel. We really don't want you to follow that one. Y'all are supposed to laugh. Thanks, Bill. We want you to put on apparel. But rather, let it be of a gentle and of a quiet spirit. They interpret that as an imperative. Don't wear silver and gold. It's not, it's not commanding not to wear silver and gold. What it's saying is, don't let that be who you are. Haughty and arrogant and proudful. Rather, let humility and gentleness be who you are. We'll come back to further assumptions and presuppositions and theological words. I wanted to make that last part exciting for you, theological words. But they're important to help you understand why we believe what we believe. Would you stand? Lord, we are so grateful to you. You are an amazing God. The amazing thing is uh, you have this big family. You have this big family all over the world. And some this morning were dancing in the aisles, shaking tambourines, literally dancing in the aisles. Some were singing or chanting Gregorian chants. Some of your children met this morning with no music at all except the sounds of their voices. Some, some gathered together and sanctuaries lit up with colorful lights. Some met out under brush on the ground. We're all your family. We're all your children. Those who name Jesus as Lord and Savior. What we want to do, Lord, is where it's faith seeking understanding. So what we're trying to do is understand who we are and why we are under the kingship of God and of, of His Christ Jesus we confess as Lord. We want to be a church that's ready for you because we believe you're coming and you're coming soon. 
Thanks for joining us at Central Church today. If you'd like to get involved, please visit us at centralnazarene.org.